So, we are uh, in a series this spring, leading up to spring break, um, in the, on the covenants in Scripture. And so, to that end, we're going to think about the first covenant tonight. Uh, so, if you'll take your Bible and find Genesis chapter 2. I know on Sunday nights, Pastor Brian has been teaching us through um, Genesis. I don't think he's made it out of chapter 1 yet, but I have been gone for two weeks, but I still think he's in chapter 1. Um, but as he has said, uh, there are the first, the first three chapters of Genesis are foundational to understanding reality. Um, and he said about Genesis 1, if you, if, you, if, you, uh, if you miss Genesis 1, you miss everything. And, I, and it, that, seems, that seems to bear true for Genesis 2 and Genesis 3. So um, these are some foundational chapters to understand the whole story of salvation, why, why Jesus came. Um, yeah, there, I don't think there's any that are more foundational than what, we, what we're going to read today in Genesis 2. It's kind of like the... Uh, if you think about the whole storyline of the Bible, it's kind of like the, um, the lady who cuts off the end of the hams before she cooks it and then asks, why did she do that? Well, she says, because my mama cut off the ends of the ham before she cooked it. And, and, and we asked her mom, why did you do it? It's because her, her mom. Well, you ask grandmama, why did she do that? It's because she didn't have a pan big enough for the, for the uh, they, just, they just doing it and they didn't know why. It's kind of like if you didn't have... If you didn't have these stories, that's what the story of salvation would feel like. Well, why, why did it have to happen this way? I don't know. It just, you know. But if you have these stories and you're familiar with these, it makes, it makes sense when, uh, when Jesus became, why he came, and what he did. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm looking forward to this series. And, and our passage today in Genesis 2 has everything to do with um, what we find in the gospel. Why he came, why, what he came to do, and and the salvation we have in him. So we'll, we'll read this passage in just a minute. It is sort of a retelling. If you, make, if you know Genesis 2, it's sort of a retelling of what you see in Genesis 1 about creation. Um, it'll specifically highlight, Genesis 2 will specifically highlight the creation of Adam and Eve, but it will do so in a, in a particular type of context, what I would call a covenantal context. Uh, Aaron, I think, taught you a couple of weeks ago um, and by the way, last week, was it last week that was prayer week? And I heard you guys really, really came strong in prayer week. And I'm, I'm really uh, appreciative of that. But he kind of, I think Aaron gave you a, an overview of the covenantal structure of Scripture. And, and, and uh, I'm grateful to him because that's crucial to understanding the storyline of the Bible as a whole. It's like the covenants are the, are, are the things that hold the story together. And just keep moving it down the line. And there are several different covenants mentioned. Um, covenants that God made with men, and they're hugely important. If you're, if you're trusting in Jesus tonight, uh, you are living under what the Bible calls the new covenant. And we'll get to that eventually. That's the covenant that the, the Old Testament prophets and these earlier covenants were foretelling. Ephesians chapter 2 calls the Old Testament covenants the covenants of promise that's what they're doing they're these old testament covenants that we'll start looking at tonight are all giving different uh small pictures of that salvation that would come uh, and they would make more sense with increasing clarity 
as, as they came. Um, but, you know, he established a covenant with David uh, in the Old Testament that from his line would come another king, a greater king. And um, that was fulfilled when, when Jesus came as that greater king. And then before that, he made a, God made an, established a covenant through Moses um, in which he gave the people of Israel his perfect law to follow. And it would be a, uh, as long as they obeyed the law, they would live as if people in the promised land. And that promised land itself was a picture of a greater land, new heavens and new earth. Um, but, um, you know, Jesus fulfilled that covenant as the greater priest, as the greater sacrifice. Before that, God had established a covenant with Abraham and um, had promised grace to those who, uh, God promised grace to those who would trust in him as, as Abraham did. And that he promised to do, with Abraham, he, God promised to do all that was necessary for salvation. Um, you see that clearly in Genesis 15. We'll see that coming up. Um, before that, he, he established a covenant with Noah. Um, and the covenant with Noah is unique because it's like um, after the flood, uh, the rainbow was there, and then he promised day and night, uh, summer and winters, you know, would go. It, it was basically promising that God was promising, I will keep time moving until such time that the Savior would come. But before all of those covenants... Noah and Abraham and Moses and David leading to the new. You have the covenant that we're going to think about tonight, what I'm referring to as the covenant of creation. Sometimes this covenant is called the covenant of works. Um, I don't have a problem with covenant of works, um, but I'm just going to refer to it as covenant of creation tonight um, because it's the covenant that God made in the context of creation itself. God created us. He didn't just stand by and watch us live. He actively entered into a relationship with us. And, uh, and it's, this is the, the covenant that we're going to think about tonight is, um, you know, no one today is living under the Abrahamic covenant. No one today is living even under the, well, in a way we're living under the Noahic covenant, but no one's living under the Mosaic covenant. No one's living under the Davidic covenant. We are living, if you're trusting Christ, you're living under the new. And if you're not trusting Christ, you are living under the covenant we're going to think about tonight. Everyone is, is uh, either in Christ and under the new covenant or outside of Christ and under this covenant of works or covenant of creation. Um, and so um, we need to think about it and think about it carefully. So Genesis 2, we're going to read beginning in verse 4 and read through the end of the chapter. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the, heaven, the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had, caused it to, had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. 
And out of the ground the Lord God made, uh, made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. And then the, the name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good, bdellium and onyx and stone. Onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the first that flowed around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris out which flows east of Assyria. The fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. That's an interesting, by the way, that's an interesting phrase, to work it and to keep it. To work and to keep. That's the same language that will be used. This is a different, the same vocabulary and phrase that's going to be used throughout the Old Testament. Talk about what priests do. They work and they keep the temple going and the sacrifices so in a way Adam was like a priest in this garden to work it and to keep it verse 16 and the Lord God commanded the man saying you may surely eat of every tree of the garden but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat for the day that you eat it you shall surely die then the Lord God said it is not good that the man should be alone I will make a helper fit for him Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused the deep sleep to fall upon the man and while he slept took one of its ribs and closed up its place with flesh and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man and the man said this at last is bone of my bones flesh of my flesh she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed let's pray Oh, Lord God, this is your holy, inspired, inerrant, infallible word. It's holy, it's authoritative, it's sufficient, it's clear, it's necessary. And we, um, it is a privilege for us to, to study it together. It is a privilege. And so we ask that you would give us eyes to see the truth in this passage. Would you give us... Um, once, once seeing would you give us minds to understand very clearly what you're teaching us here and as we understand it as we see it and as we understand it would you give us hearts to embrace and love the truth that we see here um, later in your word in, in the book of Titus you warn those who refuse to love the truth and be saved So it is not enough for us to know. It is incumbent upon us to love as well. Would you give us that love in our hearts for your truth? Would you give us all ears to hear? And please give me the help that I need to teach. 
especially tonight. Would you help me in Jesus' name? Amen. Now, <clears throat> um, this is, uh, I've told you this passage is about a covenant that God made with Adam and Eve at creation, not just with Adam and Eve, but with everyone who would come after them in the world. And having told you that, maybe, maybe, maybe not, but maybe you, you read that when we read this passage, you may have noticed that the word covenant never appears in this passage. There's it just not one time. We're sitting there going to talk about a, a covenant here, a covenant of works, a covenant of creation, and covenant's not mentioned here. Um, so why do we say? And for that reason, that it's for that reason that some some people, some very faithful Christians, do not believe that there's a covenant. They don't they don't hold to a covenant of works or a covenant of creation, and that's one of the things they point to. It's not talking. It doesn't mention a covenant here. Well, why then do we say that this describes a very important covenant in the Bible when the word is nowhere to be found? The reason is because every element of a covenant is here. Every element of a covenant is in, in Genesis 2 as well as, we didn't read it, but it, if, you, if you kept reading into chapter 3, certainly this is the case. Every element of a covenant is found, uh, all the pieces of a covenant are found here even if the specific word is not. It's much the same with how the Bible so very clearly um, teaches that God is, is triune. He's a trinity, even though the word trinity never appears once in the Bible. Or think about, um, <laughs> what would you say is the, is the main theme of Genesis chapter 3? Man's fall into sin. The word sin is never used in Genesis 3. But we all know that Genesis 3 is the entrance of sin into the world. Um, so for that reason, I, I think we're on good grounds to, to see a covenant in Genesis 2, even when the word is not used. So what exactly is a covenant? I don't know what, what definition Aaron may have given you um, a couple of weeks ago. I'm sure it's a good one. There are different kinds of covenants. Uh, people who are married ought to know what a covenant is because that's what marriage is. It's a covenant. Uh, between two people before the Lord God. Um, it's, it's a covenant with two people making promises to each other. You know, weddings now um, are, are elaborate. Um, almost nobody ever gets married in a church anymore either. It's always outside. Um, it's always hot, natty, and the sound system never works right. Um, but anyway... Um, I'm just telling you, I don't, I didn't plan to say that. But anyway, um, uh, <laughs> well, they make promises to each other. I, what I, where I was going with that is with all the stuff going on in a wedding, the most, the most, the highlight of the ceremony, of that covenant ceremony, is that moment where they make promises to each other. Right? That's the heart of a covenant, is the promises that are made uh, to live together in a certain way for the rest of their lives, and they give rings as a, as a symbol of those promises and those obligations that they put on themselves through that promise, and blessing is found in the keeping of those promises, and discord and misery is found, sanctions if they do not uphold those obligations, and um, because of that covenant arrangement, a man is obligated to his wife and acts toward his wife as he does with no other woman. Right? There's a, there is a, 
specially defined relationship there because of that covenant. And, and covenants in the Bible are, are a lot the same. Um, and there's more than one kind of covenant in the Bible, two main kinds of covenant in the Bible. Um, sometimes two, you, you find in the Bible two people making covenants with each other as, as equals. Those are called parity covenants, P-A-R-I-T-Y, parity covenants, because they're equals. Um, one man making a covenant with another man. But the major covenants in the Bible, the covenants that we're going to um, study in this series um, are, are not between equals, but between God as the sovereign Lord and the people he created as rightfully subject to him. Those are often called suzerainty. That's a fancy word. Suzerainty covenants. S-U-Z-E-R-A-I-N-T-Y. Suzerainty covenants. That's the kind of covenant we're going to find here. It's an arrangement administered by the Lord to his people whereby he, uh, he blesses and provides for them and he clearly tells them how they are obligated to live before him and he promises to continue that blessing upon their obedience but curses and terrible consequences for their disobedience. And uh, and the covenant is, what, covenant is what governs God's relationship to his people and his people's relationship to him. Um, and in, in this chapter, uh, picking up a little bit from chapter 1 and looking ahead a little bit to Genesis 3, it paints a very clear picture of the covenant relationship that every person is born, under, born into under God and what it means uh, for us. So here's what I want us to see about the covenant of creation in this passage. Three things. One, the blessings of the covenant the blessings of the covenant. I want us to see how God richly provided for Adam and Eve as he entered into this covenant. So first, the blessings of the covenant. Second, the obligations of the covenant. What did God require of Adam and Eve when he created them? And hence, um, since it is still the covenant that every person is born un- into this, to this day, what does he require of every person born into the world? the obligations of the covenant. And finally, the consequences of the covenant. Um, What were the consequences if Adam failed to uphold his end of this covenant obligation? What and what does Adam have, what impact does Adam have on us? It's very basic. I may say say nothing new today that, that you haven't heard a thousand times. That's good. I'm never embarrassed by that. The things we remember, the things we heard a thousand times. The most important things, you're supposed to hear that many times. And this is the most important thing. So those are, the, those are the three things I want to see. Let's think first about the blessings of the covenant described here. So that phrase you see at the beginning of verse 4 where we started, where it says, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth. When Genesis was originally written, obviously it was not written uh, with the chapter divisions that we have today. That was, not, that was added way, way, way later. But you'll see that phrase over and over and over again in Genesis. These are the generations of, and whatever it is, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth. When Noah, you know, in chapter uh, chapter 6, verse 9, these are the generations of Noah. And you get to Abraham, these are the generations, you know, that, that phrase sort of marked major divisions in the book of Genesis. It was like the chapter divisions before there were chapter divisions. 
And uh, so when, when you read this, it marked big transitions in the story. And, and so um, when it begins here, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth. It shows you that what's about to happen in Genesis 2, it, it's not just repeating chapter 1. Okay? There's a lot of overlap between chapter 1 and chapter 2. But chapter 2 is going to be doing something different than what chapter 1 was. And that's indicated by that first phrase. Um, and, it, and, it, and it's retelling it for a specific purpose. And that is to highlight this very covenant that God was entering into with his creation, created people, um, and how to outline how we're to live before him as our Lord. And so it begins by outlining the blessings that God provided to his created people. And we begin to see how creation itself was a blessing that God provided. So before even God created Adam and Eve, the passage reminds us in verses 5 and 6 that it reminds us how perfectly uh, creation was suited for him. God was causing everything to sprout on the earth. And verse 6 says, A mist was going up from the land and uh, was watering the whole face of the ground. It had not rained. Um, and later, it, it, so God was causing, he was taking care of the, make sure the plants grew and, and everything grew as it was supposed to. And later in verses 10 to 14, uh, it, it, it talks about all the, all the rivers that flew in and out of the place. But it actually says they're flowing out, which also shows you that Eden was on a, on a mountain because rivers don't flow up mountains. They flow down the mountain. If they're flowing out, they're going down the mountain. And so and that's another, another indication that while Adam is like a priest, Eden was like a temple. Temples were up on the mount. Um, but it was a good place for Adam and Eve to live and to be blessed. You remember in chapter 1 how after God created everything, behold, it was, this was good, it was good, it was good, it was good. Um, and, um, and, and, and you see it here. And in fact, when you get to verse 8 in chapter 2, it says, And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there, there he put the man whom he had formed. The, the Hebrew word translated there, garden, is one that was used later on in ancient times to talk about the gardens in king's palaces, um, great kings. And when the, when the Bible was translated into Latin, the Latin word used to describe this garden was paradise. So it was an absolutely perfect place that God had made for his people. It says in verse 9, Out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant for the sight, good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. More on those trees in a minute. But for the purposes here, notice the emphasis placed on how perfect the place was. God had created a perfect paradise for Adam and Eve to live in. If he, was, if he was going to require anything of them, they had every advantage in terms of the environment around them to help them to do whatever he was going to require them to do. God had set them up for success and blessing. But it wasn't just the environment that he blessed them with. Uh, look at verse 7 where it says, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from, from the ground and breathed into his nostrils, the breath of life. And that, well, anything that shows us we ought to be humble, not proud. I know God made us from the dust. But you see that God himself breathed life into Adam. And it reminds you of what you would have already seen in chapter 1 where God created us in his own image. 
What is, you know, being in His image means we have the ability to, to know God and, um, and, and to hear His voice and to choose to obey. Not just to hear Him. He can hear us. We pray. We have communication with Him. Uh, we can choose to obey and walk in His ways. We're the only, only created thing that, uh, on this earth that can do that. No other, no other animal. I remember one day I was teaching in Uganda. Let <laughs> me show you. The... Anyway, uh, so there was, it's the dry season in, in northern Uganda, and one of the things it means is it's, uh, it's roaming season, which just means like everybody's cows and stuff can just roam around wherever they are. And it, it, it happened to be on that particular day that I'm teaching, there were, there were cows and goats just wandering around all where we were. And there was laundry on the line. And like halfway through what I was teaching, a bunch of men over here, a bunch of the pastors got up and started running out this way because the cows and the goats were trying to eat the laundry off the line. <laughs> anyway, why am I telling you that? Um, oh, I joked that day. We were talking about the image of God, and I used that as an example, how we were, it means that the image of God means we can, we can communicate with God. I was like, you know, goats and cows and and you know, monkeys are like, they're, they're smart creatures, but none of them prayed that morning. Like none of them, none of them had the capacity to communicate with God. We do. Um, no other creature has that blessing. So God gave Adam and Eve every environmental blessing. He gave them every personal blessing in terms of our being created in his image and to be able to walk in obedience to him and be blessed. Environmental blessing, personal blessing, but there's even more. A big part of in chapter 2, a big part of the blessing to them is found in the second half of the chapter with, with the creation of, of Eve. It says in verse 18, Eve was a helper fit for him or suitable for him. Per, it literally means Eve was perfectly corresponding to Adam. Perfectly corresponding to him. And I love how when Adam sees Eve in verse 23, he says, this at last is bone of my bones. And flesh of my flesh. At last. Um, I'm sure he felt that way after he had named all the other animals and was very grateful that they were not his companions. But she was the perfect companion for him. Marriage was and is um, a blessing that God provided in this covenant. Um, it, it, is, it is marriage, and, and not just marriage, but the creation of Eve when, and, and as chapter 1 says, uh, man and woman together are image of God. It's, it's, it's marriage, and even outside of marriage, social interaction. Social interaction is, is, is a blessing that God uses in our lives to, to, to keep us from being as sinful as we otherwise would be without that social interaction, without our husband or wife. Uh, think about it. By the, by the way, that's why it's important to choose your friends wisely. Um, how many things that you knew were wrong, uh, but you decided not to do it because of what other people would think or, or, or what they would do if you did it? The mere fact that other people might know about it, what they would think, what they would do if you did that thing, kept you from doing that thing, right? Right? Um, 
And so other people in our lives are a, are a restraining grace to us from sin. Um, and, and, and other people in our lives, our, our husband, our wife, our friends, if we've chosen them wisely, are a promotion to holiness for us. A promotion to righteousness. So even before sin entered into the world, God gave all of those blessings to Adam and Eve. So in other words, Adam had not only every environmental blessing, being placed in a perfect paradise of Eden, and not only every personal blessing, being created in the image of God, and the moral ability to, to know God, to understand Him, to, to understand his, his Word and obey Him, love Him, pray to Him, communicate with Him, be blessed by Him, but also every social blessing through the creation of Eve to be His, his perfect companion in life. Adam, who was, is clearly the, the central figure in this story, was perfectly provided for. There was absolutely nothing he lacked. In fact, when, when he was created, God said, this is very good. It's very good. He had every blessing to succeed in this covenant that God was establishing with him. Um, God did not set Adam up for failure but for blessing. And as you keep reading the passage, though, you realize that these blessings are not just given him for his enjoyment, but to enable him to, to keep his obligations, so the obligations of the covenant. Um, those obligations start becoming apparent in verse 15, where we read again, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. So God commanded Adam to work and tend to his, tend his environment as he should. Work is not a terrible consequence of sin. Um, work is part of the good creation of God. I, I don't know how, how you feel, but I know I, di I didn't feel it this way because this, this year because I didn't, I didn't really experience this kind of gap this year because I was preparing for Africa and then I went to Africa, but a lot of years, I start, at, by the end of the fall semester, I'm really ready for a break like you are, and then, and then you guys leave, and I, I, I take a bunch of days off, and I just sit at home, and, I, and, I, and it's fun for a little while, but like, after a while, I'm really ready to get back at it, because, um, man, sitting around doing nothing is, is not really spiritual good for you, so like, the, the work that God has given you to do is for your spiritual good. It's, it's part of God's good creation. Work is intended to be a joyful thing in our lives, and we find fulfillment in it. Um, yeah. Uh, but um, Adam had the obligation to work it, and by work it and keep it means according to God's commandment um, to observe the Sabbath day. Uh, that's what we find in chapter 1. Um, to honor the marriage that God, as God had created it. Most, most clearly of all, to obey whatever God commands to do. That's how he's working it and keeping it, to obey all of God's commands. You see that in verses 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of this garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. They were not to eat what God prohibited. Notice there, 
it says, it says, it doesn't say that there's anything actually wrong with the fruit. Um, I mean, I assume it's fruit. Um, it doesn't say what's on the fruit, on the tree. I assume it's fruit, but let's just, for the sake of argument, it's fruit. Um, it doesn't tell you there's anything wrong with the fruit. The whole point, the whole point of telling him not to eat of the fruit of that particular tree appears to be simply for the purpose of acknowledging a, a, a literal acknowledgement that God is the Lord and I'm not. A submission to him, right? There's nothing wrong with that fruit, but I still shouldn't eat it. Why? Because God said not to eat it. Okay? It's a reminder that God is God and we owe him obedience because of who he is and who we are. And we still owe this obedience. Everyone coming into the world owes this obedience to everything God has commanded. And the, and the, and the, um, the, the, the specificity of the commandments have, have only grown more clear since that early commandment. Uh, six, over 600 commands in the law of Moses. Now, a lot of those are, are not moral in nature, but even, even the Ten Commandments are more than, more than you have here. We still owe this. We come into the world, and in the, in the, the language of the Westminster Larger Confession, it says that we, owe, we all owe to God personal, perfect, and perpetual obedience. Personal, perfect, and perpetual obedience. Honoring Him in all our work, sinlessly. Honoring Him in our marriages, sinlessly. Honoring Him on the Lord's Day, sinlessly. Honoring him by keeping his commandments sinlessly. Adam owed these to him personally, perfectly, perpetually at every moment. So do we. But this was not a burdensome com command from the Lord because he had given him every blessing under the sun. And in fact, notice that even in the command not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil... God generously told them that they could eat of all the other trees. We, we tend to focus on what God prohibited, but God's, God's provision was much vaster than his prohibition. You may eat of all of these trees, except for this one, right? Um, so God allowed abundantly, he allowed abundantly more than he prohibited. His commands were serious and life-consuming. He did have obligations to God. We do. He's still the creator. We're still the creature. But Adam's commands were accompanied by every blessing and every help from God that he could have wanted or needed. And with those, uh, those obligations come the consequences for both obedience and disobedience. Let's look at these quickly, and then we'll draw it to a close because this is just foundational truth to much uh, much more specific covenants coming so there were two trees in the middle of that garden um, as we've already read the first was the tree of life and um, yeah that tree was was clearly the just the symbolic tree sim symbolic of the of the covenant that God had given to them, that they would live as, live as long as they obeyed the, the, the command that he gave them. 
and walked in his ways. But to go along with that other tree uh, in the garden was the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that, that one clearly represents the choice of doing good or evil. And he lays out the consequence of choosing evil over the good. He tells Adam at the end of his command in verse 17, For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. We know from the next chapter that Adam and Eve will uh, disobey the clear command that God gave them. And in that moment, sin entered into the world and changed everything. When God, but when God lays out the consequences in chapter 3 of that sin, he tells them that they will indeed die physically, which they do, and everyone, everyone after. But in that moment, they also died spiritually, and they were sent away from the presence of God. Um, and barred from returning. Incidentally, the first, first promise of the Gospels in chapter 3, verse 15, in the same breath that he pronounces the curse, he, pronounces, he promises the salvation to come. And the Bible says that what Adam did in the garden affected all of us. Um, and I'll, 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 we'll, just, we'll end with this. Adam was our representative in the garden. He was the representative of all humanity in the garden. He stood in our place. And whatever he did did not just affect him, but would render consequences not only for him, but for us too. Some people think that's unfair. You know, well, I want to say two things about the the, the seeming unfairness of that. One is this. Remember all the advantages that Adam was given. If, if Adam was given all of those advantages, and if he still sinned with all of those advantages, we can be sure that we would have too. I mean, it's presumptuous to say, I wouldn't have sinned in that situation. No, you would have, and I would have. But here's the other thing that I would say to that unfairness charge. If it's unfair to suffer from Adam's sin... It is also unfair for us to benefit from Christ's righteousness. The New Testament refers to Jesus as the last Adam. Um, it is incumbent upon every person born into the world to keep the, law, the covenant of works, to, to obey all the commands of God. There is a very real sense in which salvation is not free. Um, it, it, is, it is free to you and me. It was not free to Jesus. And, and there is a certain way that salvation is by works. Jesus works. His works. It's not works for you. It works for him. What was he working? What was he? He was living, He was obeying this covenant of works. He was. He was fulfilling the covenant of works. 
um, he's the last Adam. And he, he is now the representative for everyone who believes in him. That's what we read in Romans chapter 5. If you want to flip over to Romans 5, we'll just see that quickly before we close. Romans chapter 5. And what we're going to read is that just as what Adam did affected all men, so too what Jesus did affects all who believe in him. Romans chapter 5, verse 12, and we'll read through verse 19. Therefore, just, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. For indeed, sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, that's Adam, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. So we, we, can't, we can't say it's unfair that Adam's sin brings consequences upon us if we joyfully accept the benefits of, of Jesus' righteousness. Who, Adam was our representative that plunged us into sin, but in the same way, Jesus graciously came as another representative for us, a, a second Adam, to earn for us the eternal life that we lost through sin. So we close with this. Every person, the covenant of creation teaches us this. Every person that comes into the world is descended from Adam. And, the, and they, they, we are still obligated to this covenant of works. But we don't have all the advantages that Adam even had. Because sin has now entered into the world because of his sin. We come into this world with the same obligations, but disadvantaged to keep it because of the sin that's already in our heart. And, uh, and, and we're born with the guilt of Adam, but as soon as we are old enough to act on our own, we, we act according to our nature and we sin. And we now, through our own action, deserve the condemnation that we have. But God gives us the opportunity to recognize that Jesus earned back what Adam lost through his life and his death and his resurrection. And through repentance and faith, we can stand before God with Jesus as our representative instead of Adam. That's the entirety of it. Uh, you know, yeah, if, if uh, I think I heard Alistair Begg make this point one time. If, if, when we, if when we stand before the Lord one day, and if he should say, why, uh, why should you 
gain heaven? Why should, why should, I, why should I let you in? As the... If we answer that question in the first person, we've gotten it wrong. Because I did this, or because I, Evelyn said, because I repented and believed. Because I, because I. She answered in the third person, because he, right? The only reason is because we have a representative. A representative that was, uh, that was foreshadowed in, 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 in Genesis 2 and 3. We find fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Adam and every sinner born uh, after him broke the covenant of creation. And in, the day we, in that day we surely die. Jesus alone fulfilled it for all who would trust in him. That's a beautiful word, and I look forward to looking at the rest of the covenants with you in the coming weeks. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, thank you for these basic, basic gospel truths. I hope, I really do hope, that I didn't say anything new tonight. I really hope that everything that I said is <clears throat> old news that still has not lost its shine. And I pray, oh Lord, that um, you, would, you would take these basic truths and shape our world by them. How, how, how more basic does it get? That there is a God who created us who requires perfect and personal and perpetual obedience from us. We, through Adam, have broken that law and earned for us, ourselves, eternal consequences. But, but that first Adam was just a type of a better Adam coming in Jesus Christ, who himself perfectly and personally and perpetually obeyed every command as a representative for everyone who would repent and believe in him. There are no more beautiful truths in anywhere than those. My prayer is that for every person in this room that has repented and believed and put their, 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 um, given their life to Christ, they would find fresh assurance in these words tonight. And I pray that if there's anyone here tonight that has never repented and put their faith in Jesus Christ, that Holy Spirit, you would impress upon them this reality of a covenant of works. That apart from Jesus Christ, we are under a covenant of works, still owing personal, perfect, and perpetual obedience. And there is no way we can give you that. So I pray that for anyone not trusting in Christ today, this word would be a, a word that spurs them toward repentance and faith in Jesus. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.